Hi there, welcome to Shiloh Tabernacle London. We're located in South East London in Woolwich Dockyard, Block 1, Unit 9, Dockyard Industrial Estate, Woolwich Church Street, SC18 5PQ. Join us for our Bible study every Friday from 7.30 to 9pm and you can't miss our Sunday services packed with prayer, vibrant worship and a powerful word. First service is 9am to 10.30 followed by our family service from 10.30 to 12.30. And now for the best part, let's get into the word. Morning, good, oh, good afternoon. You're most welcome to Shiloh Tabernacle. If this is your first time here, you're welcome. Those of you online, I welcome you into the presence of the Most High. Some of you that are online, you should, you should branch here sometimes because the atmosphere here, it's unmatched. It's unmatched to what you're feeling at home. The atmosphere in this room is incredible. So I encourage you, if you're at home, come, come. Next week, come. You come. Amen. So my name is Mercy, Mercy Guma. Does that name sound familiar? I'm a Guma. You're most welcome. I will be bringing you the word this morning. Hallelujah. Yeah. You can clap better for me. Amen, 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 amen. No, I'm just playing. Hallelujah. We thank God. I'm honored to bring forth the word this morning and I honor our um, our pastors, Pastor Reuben and Apostle Joyous, they're in the house. So I thank you for the honor. I don't take it lightly. I say this every time. The people that bring the word or teachers of the word are judged higher at a different level. So when we stand here to bring you the word, it's not a joke. It's not, it's not something that's light. We don't take it lightly. We are very serious about the preaching of the gospel and teaching of the gospel. Amen. Are you ready? Ask your neighbor, are you ready to receive? You're in your seats, you've worshipped, you're good to go. If you have water, you drink some and we go on the journey. Amen. Hallelujah. So today's sermon, um, if you're a note taker like myself, the title is The Simplicity in Christ. Or The Simple Gospel. Now I will have to put a disclaimer before I start preaching because at the end I may not have many friends some of the things I may say today may challenge some of the things that are inside of you and they may cause a shifting, a stirring. That's not a bad thing. That's some, most times that's a good thing. But I'm not, I'm not here to, to anger you in any way. I'm just here to present to you a different point of view. Amen? So the last two weeks we've been... Let me ask you, what have we been learning over the last two weeks? Someone shout it out. Somebody shout it out that's not desire. Seeking God intently. Amen. See, Pastor Ruben, the, the students are listening. So we've been learning about seeking God and Pastor Ruben has taken us on this journey of the importance of seeking God intently, intentionally. Seeking the kingdom rather than the things of the world. Seeking is not coming to church on a Sunday. Imagine you lost something. An important thing you've lost your wedding ring those that are married and you only look for it on Sunday how long will it take you to find it forever 
So we don't seek on the one day that we are in church. Seeking is our everyday lives. We are seekers by nature. We are seekers in everything that we do. So we've gone on this journey of seeking God and understanding the intentionality of seeking this God. So today my assignment is to help you further with your seeking. It's to enable you more as you seek God. I may burst some myths that you have you have built in your mind. But if you understand the concept of the simplicity in Christ, seeking the kingdom, seeking God is going to become enjoyable. It's not going to be difficult. Because when people say, oh, I'm seeking God, um, I'm praying. Last time I preached about, you know, being in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And I asked, how many of you find it difficult to pray? And people's hands were raised because we haven't understood this concept of the simplicity in Christ. It is so simple, but our God is so intricate and infinite, but it's still, there's a simplicity. So I came to this understanding a long time ago that the gospel is very simple and people are always trying to make it complicated or make it sound complicated or make it sound deep. Christians cannot fathom the fact that the gospel is simple. It's like you're always looking for a deeper meaning. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit searches the deeper things, the bottomless things of God and makes them known to us. If he's made them known to us, then it's, they're very simple because he searched them out, deciphered them, revealed them to our spirit. But I found that Christians find it so difficult to grasp that God loves me, that I am saved by grace through faith, that my faith can move this situation that my faith says I am healed, so I am healed. They find it difficult. Some have even refused. I don't know why. We've made up in our minds that being a Christian must be hard. It must, if it's not hard, you're not a Christian. Listen, I understand the Bible says, Jesus says, carry your cross, right? Daily. But who said that it has to be difficult? Jesus carried the most heaviest one, so you don't have to carry the one that is so heavy. Christianity is not meant to be difficult. Just because you are having a great time in God doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. I think people find it really difficult to understand that being sons of God is easy, is simple. And I'll tell you why. Who you are, do you struggle to be who you are? It's not hard for me to be mercy. It's not hard for me to be Mercy Guma. I was born into this family. I don't struggle to be a part of this family. I fit in. So being a child of God is not difficult. It's who I am. It's my identity. I don't need to do anything to be a child of Apostle Joyous and Pastor Ruben Guma. I didn't do anything. The same way with God. We have been born into a family, been given the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. That's Romans 8, 15. I have not been born into this family by anything that I have done. I have not worked to be born and be part of God's family. You're not called to be a Christian. You're called to be a son of God. There's a difference because Christianity is religion and it's laws and it's this and it's that. That's difficult. Before Jesus came, before the new covenant, there were 600 and about 13 um, laws, commandments. You know, Moses came from the mountain and he only presented 10, but there were more. 
And if you broke one, you broke them all. One, you broke all of them. It was difficult being a Christian without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. So now that we have been bought, called out of the darkness into the light, we have been rescued from captivity, we have been translated from this realm into this realm, from the old covenant into the new covenant by which we are saved through faith. Being a child of God is not difficult. You may not believe me, and I know because I can see it in your eyes. Because you're saying to me, mercy, but I'm going through hell. I'm going through hardship. I'm going through so much. John 16, 33, Jesus says, in this world, on this earth, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. So that means that you can live in the world. You can be in this world that is trying you, but the difference is your stance, your mindset, your good cheer. You can live in this world for he has conquered it all. I have overcome the world. So I am going through trouble. Listen, waking up in the morning sometimes is difficult. Sometimes it's really difficult to get out of bed. And now when you're working at home, listen, I wake up just in time for work. And it's like, God, it's Monday morning, it's Tuesday, it's Wednesday. I'm getting up at 8.25, logging in at 8.30. It's difficult, but I am of good cheer because I know he has overcome the world. I live in a conquered world. He overcame it. The Amplified Version says, I have deprived the world of anything that can harm you. So being a child of God on this earth is not difficult. So for a long time, I struggled because in my head, it was preached that, you know, we go through troubles and it's hard being a Christian. And I, me too, I used to say it. I remember when I was in college and I started my YouTube channel, I had a, I had a video called Being a Christian is Hard. I, I, I really, I was among those people. It was difficult. It was taught to me that it's difficult because we're sacrificing. I have lived my life, my adult life, my teenage life, going from home, school, church. That was my life for a long time. So I remember being a child and thinking, this thing is hard. I'm sacrificing my Saturday. No, I'm sacrificing my Friday night, Saturday, Sunday. I have no weekend. I say, God, you see, I'm sacrificing for you. This thing is hard. I'm here every Friday, sometimes even midweek. I'm here. So we're taught this thing that it's hard. But if, if it's something that you love to do, it doesn't become, it's no longer a sacrifice as much. The Bible says, Romans 12, 12, 12 chapter 1. Lay down your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable worship. We are the sacrifices, living. So everything that I do, I do as a living sacrifice. When I am serving God, I'm serving him as a living sacrifice, a dead sacrifice he does not delight in anymore. The Bible says that the dead, um, the bulls and the sacrifice of bulls and uh, rams, 
he does not delight in them anymore. So he asks for a living sacrifice. One that is willing. You willingly come. Nobody forced you to come today. If they did, put up your hand and we pray. Because I'm sure nobody forced you to come into this house today. Amen? So for a long time, we're taught that Christianity is hard. And then along the way, this idea of deep revelation came in. I love revelation like the next person. I love demystifying the word of God. It's full of mysteries, right? I love it. But I came to the realization that how deep a revelation is or how deep somebody is or how deep what they say is should automatically point me to the simplicity that is in Christ. That is the depth of the revelation, that it points to this God who aims and seeks to reveal to all. Revelation is not limited to those of us that stand on this side of the microphone. Revelation is for all. It's for all of you. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 to 10, the Bible says that no, what no eye has seen, no man, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has entered into the, the heart of men that which God is about to do, right? And then verse 10, but God has revealed those things that are not seen, not heard, not, not entered into the mind of men. Give me the New King James, please. He says, those things have, has he revealed to us through his spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. That means that if you are a child of God, born again and been filled with the spirit of God, revelation is there for you. And it all comes down to you seeking. Do you see how everything is, is connected? Everything is linked. You seek, you find. You seek with intention, you find. And he says, those who seek me shall surely find me. And he says, I have revealed these bottomless things to you. I have revealed them. Revelation is the uncovering, the unveiling of something that was once hidden. All revelation points back to the simplicity in Christ. And we'll come to what that word simplicity means in a moment. But every revelation you hear, if it doesn't point you back to God, if it doesn't point you back to the word, it's not revelation. It's not revelation. That's just my introduction. Let's go into the word. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 to 4. We're going to read. This is my anchoring scripture. And then we're going to break it down a bit more. Amen. So it says, Second Corinthians 11, 1 to 4 says, Oh, that you would bear with me in the little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I, this is Paul speaking, I have betrothed you, the church of Corinth, to one husband, Jesus, the son of God, God himself, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, verse 3, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. We'll come to verse 4 a bit later. For so long, I would say this, the gospel is simple. And I didn't know it was scripture. I didn't know that this word simplicity was actually attributed to Christ and the gospel. Because I personally... I don't like complicated. I don't like things that are complicated. My mind has 
it's like my mind just says no if it's complicated it's not going in so it needs to be simplified so I'm going to simplify it for you the word simplicity that is used here in the Greek it means sincerity not self-seeking pure openness of heart manifesting itself by generosity without ulterior motive unambiguous the simplicity that is in Christ the sincerity that is in Christ the purity that is in Christ Paul here from verse 1 to 3 he's writing and he's speaking to the church and he's saying to them I have he's like one who is taking care of children and he says I am jealous for you because I have poured into you I've preached to you and I want to present you to Christ holy and pure but I am afraid I am afraid that you would be so easily led astray Paul has taught them the gospel when we first come to the church of Corinth they're so divided remember in, in, in chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians they say I am for Paul one is for Apollos and Paul comes and says who then is Paul who is Apollos for Paul water, planted Apollos watered but it is God that gives the increase so he's saying that neither of us matter but God ultimately so already there was division in the church so he's now come to the second letter and he's saying I have preached to you the gospel I have given you the truth but I'm afraid and the rest of verse 11 is him talking about false teachers and basically warning the church beware of false prophets right so he is like a father. He says, I am so, I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy. I don't want you to be led astray, which is what's happening in our day to day. Everybody has deep revelation. Everybody has something, but it's not pointing to the simplicity that is in Christ. If it's not pointing to the simplicity that is in Christ, the purity, the sincerity that is in Christ, then it's, it's, point, it's leading us astray. So Paul is like, I really want, I'm just, I really want to present you holy, blameless, and I just want you to be pure and, you know, I just want you to be ready. So verse three, he says, he expresses his worry that they may be led astray like Eve was led astray, right? And he says, he says, so your minds may be corrupted. Notice he didn't say your spirits, not your bodies, but your minds. The mind is the psychological faculty of understanding, reasoning, thinking, and your deciding mind. There's a reason why Paul emphasizes that it's your minds that will be corrupted. The body cannot be corrupted before the mind is corrupted. If your reasoning is off, if your understanding is off, you can no longer see the simplicity that is in Christ. This is exactly what this verse is saying. So if the enemy can convince you that you are not loved by God, that God loves you half, that God loves you only on Monday, on Tuesday he doesn't love you, he doesn't really love you, well, like that sin that you committed last night, he hasn't forgiven it. If the devil can convince you that your identity is not in Christ, but in what you did last night or the night before or 500 years ago, if he can convince you of anything that is not in Christ, 
You've given him foothold. You've given him hold into your life. But then the Bible also tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are strong to the pulling down of every argument that, it, that, that comes against the knowledge of God, that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. And then he says that same, these same weapons, we have power to bring our thoughts into subjection unto the will of God. Our thoughts are in our minds. The mind cannot be seen. I can't say this is the mind. The mind is not seen. But it's where your understanding, your reasoning, your thinking, your deciding is. So the tactics of the enemy are the same. He has no new tricks. He's the same old. He's crafty, but he has no new tricks. He comes to you and he, he tells you a half truth. He deceives you. He tells you, but does God really love you? And it's, it's, that, it's that really, does he really love you? That then sends your mind into a spiraling, like downhill spiral. Spiraling downhill spiral. He sends you down. And you're like, does God really love me? But I did this, but I did that. And the thing is, <laughs> we're getting there. So the enemy comes for the mind. And once this mind and this reasoning is, is corrupted, we can no longer see how simple, how pure, how sincere the gospel is. The gospel is very simple. What is the gospel, I hear you ask? The gospel is the good news. It's that simple. Are you still with me? The gospel is the good news. A gospel is, uh, is the announcement of good news, the we know this, right? Let's go to um, Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the facts of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is Mark opening his gospel. The first four books in the, in the New Testament are called what? It's not a trick question. The first four books in the New Testament are called what? Shout it. Come on. The Gospels. Why are you so quiet? No, but you can speak. I asked a question. The Gospels. When we look at the Bible and how it is arranged, these four books come and open the New Testament. They are proclaiming of the good news of Jesus. We have come from the Old Testament where they know of a God who's up there, but now the proclamation of this good message, this good news that Jesus has come. He has, he's come, he's living, he's dying for us and he's going to, you know, set us free. So the beginning of the gospel is, is Jesus coming, right? A gospel is an announcement of good news. So that word gospel, it's both a verb and a noun. So the verb is to announce, to share the good news. The gospel is to be shared. This good news is to be shared. Amen. So let's look at our everyday lives, right? 
when someone is sharing some news that is good, right? They're so excited that some of them can't even like hold themselves. They just want to tell you about this good news. It's so easy for them to share that they can't even hold it back. Like, I just want to tell everybody this good news, right? Whether it's a pregnancy or an engagement, a new job, a house. They're so excited to share this good news. It's very easy for them to share this good news. Do we agree? Now, let's compare that to someone who has some bad news. I, I, um, I watch this show called Grey's Anatomy. And when the surgeon has finished performing a surgery that did not go well, they have to come and inform the family of what has happened. And when you see their demeanor, it is difficult. It's hard to come and tell a mother that we did all we could, but we couldn't save him. That news is difficult. So we notice two things. Firstly, that news, bad news is hard. Bad, bad news is difficult to share. Secondly, the people that are waiting for the news are eager. They're anticipating. So in the, sh like in the TV shows or even in your day-to-day -day life, when you're wanting to share good news with your friend, you call up your friend, oh my gosh, I've got something to tell you. They're eagerly waiting to hear what this news is, be it good, be it bad. But the difference is with our good news that is Jesus, we live in a world that's not so eager. The world isn't really, they're not ready for this message. They're not really looking for it. They're not like, give me a way out. So you, we have it a little bit difficult and we'll get to that even more. So if bad news is hard and difficult news and it's difficult to share, that means good news is simple, right? Now, good news, we know, is the gospel. Are we still together? This is what makes it simple. God loved and still does. God gave and God redeemed. That's the gospel. He loved each and every one of us so much that he gave his only son to take our place, our sin, our shame, our guilt, and then redeem us, reconcile us back to him. What becomes difficult to the human or the fallen man is believing the good news and accepting the good news. It's difficult. That one, I will tell you. For somebody who is out there, you tell them that a God that they can't see gave his son who came and died and, and now we've been reconciled. That's difficult for someone to take who is living in this world under the fallen mind. Their mind cannot comprehend it, which is why we are saved by faith, by believing, by grace through faith. The faith is very important. So what makes the gospel difficult, what makes Christianity or being a child of God difficult to some is the lack of faith in simple terms. So let's bring it back to 
our example of living in, in a world where you're sharing good news. When someone shares good news with you, a baby, you know, an engagement, a new job, a new house, it is usually, almost always, backed up with evidence. Am I correct? If it's a baby, if it's a pregnancy, there's a belly and a baby. If it's an engagement, there's a ring and a wedding in the future. If it's a house, it's the house itself. If it's a job, it's a new job and a new paycheck, right? There's always evidence to back up the good news because without it, you wouldn't believe. You as a human being, you will not believe. If someone says to you, I'm pregnant and after nine months, there's no baby, something ain't right. But they believe that they're pregnant and they're carrying something. I'm, the baby's coming, but there's no baby. We will all look at you like you're a bit crazy. Right? So as humans, we need proof. The way that God has wired us is that we need evidence. So God knowing this, he says, I love you. And I'm going to prove it to you by sending Jesus. So the gospel is the evidence. Jesus is the evidence of the good news that we share, that we live in. Because without him, the good news or the, it's just a, it's just a story. There's no evidence that, you know, we've been set free. So the good news isn't like this good news, the gospel that we, sh that we live in is not like the good news that I will share with you or I'm, you know, I'm getting married or I'm this or I've got a new job or this, that and the other. Because this news not only affects me giving you the news, but it affects you as well. So when someone says I'm pregnant, that doesn't affect your life. You share in their joy, but that doesn't affect your life. You're not going to... When Ruth shared that she's pregnant and she's, you know, having a baby, I rejoiced with her, but that doesn't affect my life because I don't live with her and I'm not raising her child with her. I did, I, I've carried the baby. <laughs> I didn't carry the baby. In, ah, thank you. I didn't carry the baby with her in the womb. I didn't walk with her the nine months. That news affected her and her husband. But this good news that we share of Jesus affects us, those who share it because we have partaken of this news. And now we give it to those that will also partake in it. So this news has no expiration dates on how hyped or how happy we can be. After a while, the news of being pregnant dies down. Am I right? When the baby comes, we celebrate, yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, it's not like, oh my gosh, you had a baby? You had a child? You have an 18-year-old? No, 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 no. The child has come. That we've, we've gotten over that good news. We're waiting for another one. But this good news has no end to the hype. That even to this day, however many years there's been, we are still celebrating this good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? We never, ever, ever, ever stop sharing this good news. So like I said, the good news is to be shared. We agree? Let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 7 to 8. And it says, And he said to them, this is Jesus, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So 
he's speaking to the disciples. Go, the same in Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Go into all the world making disciples, preaching the good news. The word that stands out for me here is, you shall be witnesses. Now, a witness is somebody that sees something happen and then give an account of what they saw. Not what they think they saw, but what they saw. Or not how they interpret what they saw. It's literally, tell me what you saw and that's it. A witness literally recounts what they saw with their own eyes. And the beautiful thing about witness is that from a different vantage point, this witness sees something different to a witness who is over here. Which is why we have four Gospels, the same message, different vantage points, different experiences. When you read the story, some of the stories are... Some people add different things that they noticed based on who they are, what they do, their day-to-day things, their day-to-day lives, their livings, right? So a witness cannot be a witness if you've not seen anything. You can't, you can't be a witness to something that you haven't seen. You can't preach the gospel that you've not seen and experienced, which is why some of us struggle with preaching the good news. Preaching the good news is not limited to this, holding this microphone. You preach the good news by the way that you speak to people, the way that you act. You tell people about Jesus. You don't need a microphone to tell people about Jesus. It goes beyond that. Amen? So, Jesus says to them, wait in Jerusalem that you may receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be a witness you then become a witness. Now this surprised me a little bit because in my head I'm thinking, these people have walked with Jesus. They're already witnesses. They've seen the things that he's done. They've seen, you know, the miracles. Why do they need to wait to then become witnesses? Right? So that's something that it, it made me think. So Jesus says to them, wait wait come in one place in one room in the upper room and wait for me to pour out the power that is the Holy Spirit amen so the upper room experience was them for for them to receive power the power being the infilling of the Holy Spirit and not just any spirit but the spirit of truth in him there is no lie. Let's go to John chapter 16, verses 12 to 14. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. John 16, verse 13 in the Amplified. But when he, the spirit of truth, the truth giving spirit comes, he will guide you in all truth, the whole full truth. Let me paint you a picture. In a courtroom, how many of you have ever watched a show that's got a courtroom in it? Put up your hand. 
how to get away with murder, scandal, something, something, yeah? You've all seen a courtroom in an American show. I don't think there's, I don't think British shows do that very often. Anyway, in a courtroom, when a witness is giving their testimony, they're called up to the stand. They present them with a Bible. It says, put your hand on this Bible. And they say these words, I solemnly swear to say the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The truth is emphasized three times there in our fallen world. So for a witness to stand on the stand and recount and give a testimony of what has happened, they must be able to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. That means that the disciples that walked with Jesus for three years were witnesses to a degree. But the power that came upon them through the filling of the Holy Spirit made them accountable witnesses. They made them witnesses that had no lies in them. This is why Jesus says, there are things that I want to tell you, but you're not ready. Because I think if he had told them before the infilling of the Holy Spirit, there would have been something that just doesn't click in their human minds, right? So the Spirit being released upon them in the upper room, the Spirit of truth now allows them to be witnesses, for they carry the spirit of truth. Without the spirit of the truth, of truth, they wouldn't have been able to handle what Jesus says. But when the spirit was released upon them, they too can say that I have the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. No added preservatives, no added sugar, no added this. The pure, sincere truth. And what is the truth you ask? Jesus said, John 14, 6, am the way, the truth and the life. So the power that comes upon them is one that reminds them that they have been what they have been taught, right? So they're witnessing with nothing missing. There's nothing that is missing. There is no lies. There's nothing added, nothing taken away. The issue with normal witnesses in the court of law, witnesses that are in our day-to-day lives, they can forget things, they can miss things out. That's why the Holy Spirit who comes in you brings to remembrance all that you have been taught so that when you are witnessing to somebody, you are telling them the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Nothing is forgotten. Now, because you have this truth, the accuser of the brethren comes to accuse. In the court of law, when a witness is on the stand, the defendant and the prosecutor both ask the question they both ask the witness to give an account now the person the prosecutor comes and does what we call cross-examine they cross the witness they ask the witness questions to try and trip them up they ask the questions that will make the witness actually ask did I see that and the lawyers are very smart so they will ask you a question And the way they word it will make you think that you too, you didn't even witness anything. So the enemy comes to you and he points to your weakness. The truth says, I am set free. The truth says, I've been forgiven. The truth says that I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. And the enemy comes and says, but are you though? 
But what about that, that sin that you committed last night? But what about that lie that you told? And you as a witness of Christ must be able to stand and say, I know who I am. I am the righteousness of God through Christ. I was bought at a price. Nothing can tear me away from the love of God. No sin, no death, no principality, no demon, no higher, no height, no whatever can tear me away. So when you're witnessing for God, you stand. And the only way you stand is by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. So the enemy comes to poke holes in your testimony. He wants to make you doubt your testimony. He wants to make you doubt the purity, the simplicity, the sincerity that is in Christ Jesus. That's why he comes to you and says, this thing is hard, isn't it? And you to you that, yes, it's hard. No, you to you agree. enemy comes to question and cross-examine the witness but you have to be able to stand unshaken immovable in the face of the adversary because the greater one lives inside of you because you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who strengthens you because the same power that rose Christ from the dead is seated and working and functioning in you it is active so when we speak of the word that is Christ we are encountering countering we are countering everything that the enemy says by the power of the spirit of truth that is the simplicity in Christ nothing is missed the purity the sincerity that is seen through the work of the spirit of truth who resides in So the next time somebody tells you, man, this Christian thing, it's so hard. If you dare agree, you have wasted this entire hour and I feel like I've done nothing. So the next time that you are waking up on a Monday. And you know what's funny? I will, I will go through this tomorrow morning when I'm waking up and I've got a meeting at something, nine o'clock, and I'm like, God, I know I told them it's easy. I know I told them. But can you, can you, can you remind me as well right now? When I preach this to you, I'm not just preaching because I'm on this side and I've, you know, got my life figured out. No, I've come to the realization that there is simplicity in the gospel. The gospel itself is a very simple gospel. We alone are the ones who make things difficult. So the next time someone says to you, "Eh, this thing of being a Christian is so hard, man. So difficult. I've got to wake up at 5 a.m. to pray. And I've got Wednesday Bible prayers and Bible study. I can't, it's so much. I'm so tired. Can Can I speak freely? Every one of you, at the sound of my voice, 
I believe is born again. If you're not born again, we're going to pray and you're going to receive Christ today. Amen. But I believe that you are all born again. And you all have the Holy Spirit working in you. The Holy Spirit that works in me, that works in Apostle Joyous, that works in Pastor Reuben, is not different to the, the Holy Spirit that works in you. Did you know that? Okay, great. So when they say, guys, come and we pray. It's not hard. Because when the enemy comes knocking, he doesn't come knocking at our door. He comes on your door. And instead of you standing in your position, you know what to do. Apostle, I need help. Please help me. An apostle, her job is to help you pray. So she says, come, let's pray. Come on Wednesday. You don't want to leave your house. Okay, Zoom. Just join in. Just, you know, Zoom. Just, you look, tap. The, the password is hope. Even there, there's, you know, the password is hope. He says, log in for just an hour and pray. And in there, you're building up your spirit. You're building yourself up. You know, when we speak in tongues, some of you think, oh, what are they saying? The Bible says, building up your most holy faith by speaking in tongues. God bless you. God bless you for putting that, those Zoom details up. Wednesday, we're here, we pray. Monday to Friday, there's prayers in the morning. I get it. Getting up early in the morning is difficult. I'm not always there, but I have my time with God that I am able to stand. When the enemy comes and knocks at my door or when life comes knocking at my door, I'm able to stand because the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in me. I received the Holy Spirit. For so long, I used to think that the prayers and the salvation of my parents could get me to heaven. It can't. It is a personal decision. You all woke up this morning and decided, I'm going to church. You hit the snooze button a couple of times, but you got up. And that in itself is honorable. It is honorable. But it doesn't stop here. Because I promise you, by Wednesday, you may have forgotten half the things that I said. And if you haven't gone back to the scriptures that some of you were writing and making notes and studied those scriptures for yourself, you are limiting yourself to what I know. But I came to tell you that as you read the word, there are revelations that God wants to reveal to you concerning your situation, concerning your life. So my job here was to present it to you that you go and do what? Seek. It's all connected. Seek. Have faith when you're seeking that you will find. Listen, you guys need to come and pray. Join in on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday. The word that has been like that's been preached on Wednesday and Friday is aligning. If you are online on Wednesday and Friday and today, you can see the alignment. 
You can see the alignment. I'm not just speaking because I, I needed a topic and I was like, oh, let me see what should I preach about today? No, we're praying, intentionally seeking and God says, okay, this is what I want you to give them. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the entrance of your word brings light. And the spirit of revelation, the spirit of wisdom is upon us. And as we go and we seek you more and know you more and dive deeper and more, become more deeply and intimately acquainted with you, we know that you will make yourself known to us. I know, God, that you do not delight in keeping your will for our lives a secret. You do not delight in hiding things from us. You want us to know you more. And you've availed yourself. So we too avail ourselves. Give us the grace to pray. Give us the grace to dig deeper, to create time for you. Just as we have time for work, nine to five, school, eight to six or whatever, let there be time that is created just for you, Lord. We make time. We create the time. We make time for you. We make room for you, oh God. This week, we will make room for you. We will make room for you to understand the intricacies, the infinite wisdom that is in the simplicity of Jesus Christ, that is in the simplicity of the gospel. It somehow doesn't make sense that an intricate God can be so simple at the same time, but we trust you. And Father, we know that your word tells us that you are not slow as many seem to see slow, but you are waiting that no man be be left to perish that you will that no man perish you are waiting to the last minute to each and every one comes to you saving knowledge of your son so if there's anybody here that is does not know you oh lord you see their hearts you know their hearts and if you are one of those people that doesn't know Jesus and you want him to come into your life right now he's at the door and he's knocking and he says I'm here to change you to mold you to transform you he just says let me in so father you see the hearts that need you you see the hearts that want to know you and if there is anybody that is sick in their physical body in this room receive your healing in the mighty name of Jesus the bible says that by his stripes you are healed you were healed a long time ago so walk now in your healing walk now in your healing let there be a difference between how you thought when you came in to how you're thinking now let there be a transformation in your body I speak to the blood cells to start forming and working the way that they should be I speak to the bones to start functioning the way that they should be I speak to the mind to start working the way that it should I speak to every organ every system in your body to function the way that God intended for it to function Father we have prayed we have praised we have heard your word and we know that you are continuing to do a work in us oh God and we know we won't leave you in this room we'll take you with us wherever we go for your spirit dwells in us we thank you Jesus in your awesome name we have prayed and believe put your hands together for the Lord
thank you so much for listening to this sermon and I know you've been blessed. For more information about Shiloh Tabernacle and other sermons, please visit our website www.shiloh.org.uk and don't forget to follow us on all our social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Shiloh LDN. Once again, that's at Shiloh LDN. You've been listening to Shiloh Tabernacle London, changing lives, building dreams. Until next time, 